very well-known scripture that a lot of people maybe might even be able to quote, and that is the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse nine, verses 19 and 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm thankful we know that name. That name is Jesus. And it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Tonight, I want to talk on this topic, practical discipleship. I like practical things. Anybody like practical things? I don't, I, I like things like give me something that I can do. I love, when I would be in graduate school, I'd have certain, there's various professors, and I'm sure any of you that have gone to higher education, even high school, you, you understand that there are those professors and teaching styles that you connect with. And then there's others that you're like, huh? I had a professor, I love him. He's a great man of God. But he'd start talking and then he'd be like, you know what? I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna go a different direction. And I was in the middle of taking my notes and I'm like, what? Like to me, if you say, today I'm gonna give you the four steps and you give me two and decide to go a different direction, it's gonna drive me nuts. Anybody else like that? Okay, only, okay, there's only about 30% of us that are like weird like me. All right. I just got to see who my friends are now. But then, like, Brother Bernard, our general superintendent, amazing. He'll walk in. He'll go, all right, point number one. And he just, like, and I'm like, I love it. Yes, great. Now I can look at this. This is great. I like the structure, like the systems. And so I like that. So I like practical. I think that weekends are where we often inspire people to change, respond, do all that. But this is practical teaching. This is not just the principle of, Here's what the Bible says, let's all enjoy it, but how can we engage in this biblical principle? And so tonight is practical discipleship. In Christianity, the term disciple refers to a dedicated follower of Jesus. The term is found in the New Testament only in the, in the Gospels and the book of Acts. In the ancient world, a disciple is a follower or an adherent of a teacher. It's not the same as being a student. It's not... In, in the modern sense, so to speak. A disciple in the ancient biblical world actively imitated both the life and the teaching of the master. It was a deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. And so the term disciple rep represents Koine Greek, a word which generally means one who engages in learning through instruction from another pupil or apprentice. Disciples now are found outside the word of God, too. This is, and we think of it like as a Bible term, but it's, it's not just a Bible term. For example, ancient Greek philosophers, disciples learned by imitating the teacher's entire way of life, remembering the spoken word of the teacher. So they were a disciple of Aristotle, a disciple of Socrates, a disciple of Philo, Plato. So they were disciples. That, that, was, that was the concept, an imitator of your teacher in life and principle. And so a disciple would literally follow someone in hopes of becoming what they are. That is what a disciple said, I want to be just like that person, not just understand what they're teaching, Okay, I don't want to just understand, oh, I'm going to follow Michelangelo to learn how to sculpt something. No, I actually want to become what they are. 
And when we do that with Jesus, a Christian disciple is a believer who follows Christ and then offers his or her own imitation uh, of Christ as a model for others to follow. And we find this in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul gets up and says, Be ye followers of me. That was not arrogant. He did not mean it to be like, hey, I'm where it's at. But he says, as I am a follower of Christ. Follow me like I follow Christ. And so a disciple is first a believer who has exercised faith. And we believe that's the Acts 2.38 message of repentance, water baptism, Jesus' name, spirit infilling with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's what we see in Scripture. But this means that they have experienced this conversion and put Jesus at the center of their life and obeyed his plan for their salvation. A fully disciple, uh, developed disciple is also a leader of others who attempts to pass on his or her faith with the goal of repeating this process. So I'm going to say this several, multiple times. I think a disciple, sh you should always have your hand on someone ahead of you and your hand reaching back to someone behind you. That's, that's the way the whole New Testament church was built. So if you're sitting here and you say, well, nobody, I don't really let anybody speak in my life. I just listen from the pulpit. Well, you're probably not allowing yourself to be discipled. But if you're just saying, well, I come here and hear good preaching and but I'm too busy to invest in anybody else's life. Well, then you're also missing God's plan for your life, that everybody should, I want to be a Paul, pursue a, or pursue a Barnabas, and train a Timothy. That's, that, that's, that's the New Testament concept. And so Paul did this multiple times. 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, so I urge you to imitate me. Again, if you didn't know any better, you'd think, man, this guy's a really arrogant jerk. Like, run, run around, follow me, imitate me. But he was reflecting, he was pointing back to Christ because he said, that's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus. Just as I teach the church wherever I go. So he's like, hey, I, I have modeled my life after him. Now, I've invested in this guy, and you need to listen to what this guy is saying. This is the New Testament at its finest. It's, and, and if we're going to grow in the 21st century, that method's changed, but that model does not change. He still calls for discipleship in the 21st century. That is, I'm following, Christ, I'm following someone who has taught me to follow Christ. I'm still learning from someone, allowing someone to speak into my life. But I'm looking back, trying to still invest in someone else. And so... Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass that on to others. There you go. You want to know how the New Testament church has grown and will continue to grow? It is right there. That is the passage. Hey, these have been confirmed. Now you have to teach this to other people who are then going to pass it down to even other people. So you were not filled with the Spirit of God, had your sins washed away. We were not put in this position to just sit in a padded pew and enjoy good services. The New Testament, this is the model of the New Testament. It's safe to say biblically we see Jesus intentionally reaching out to lost souls. Jesus intentionally training and developing those whom he calls. And then he called those people who personally, he personally developed. He said, you now go and go reach and teach a lost world. Very clearly in scripture, you see this plan. And so Jesus had a clear and distinct plan for his New Testament church. And since we call ourselves Christians, Christ-like followers, I model my life not just after the teachings of Christ, but if I'm a disciple, I model my life after his life. 
And so then I want to, I want to intentionally reach for lost people around me. I want to intentionally make disciples and then encourage them to do the same. This is scripture. So to this point, I think everybody's like, cool, have heard that Bible preaching. I'm with you. Amen. How do you make disciples? What's your plan? What are you doing right now? What am I doing right now? Where are our efforts being, being placed? What does discipleship look like? Discipleship is not just putting your hand on, I think it's important to pray with people, but on a Sunday we wrap up a service and you come up and pray with somebody at the altar, that's not discipleship. I think that could be an element of discipleship that, hey, I pray with someone who I've been investing in and talking to and spending time with and this person means something to me and I, I went up and prayed for them because I felt like God wanted me to do that or I didn't even, God didn't even speak, but I love them and I just wanted to go put a hand on them, pray with them. That's awesome. That's not discipleship in its entirety. And so if Christ has called us to be disciples and make disciples, where are you in the discipleship process personally and what are you doing to make disciples. So we need to think about that. So every believer should have the hand, again, someone further than me, while still reaching back to someone behind me. This year, this year, in just 2021, we have broken a record for the almost 13 years, whatever, that my family and I have been here. We have now, up to this moment, we got months left, two months left in the year, we have baptized 15 people and 18 people have received the gift of the Holy Ghost in 2021. Isn't that awesome? Thank God for that. But guess what that means? That's exciting, but we need more believers to be helping in the discipleship process. Right? And so the goals of discipleship are twofold. For first, for all to be fully dis devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And second, for disciples to make other disciples. This is the goal of the church. Well, yeah, I want to have fellowship, and I want to have worship, and I think there should be giving, and I think there should be serving. and That all falls under, yeah, you can't be a full disciple of Jesus Christ and not engage in these biblical principles. But that's not where it ends. He says, I want you to be a full disciple, and I want you to make disciples. And so that is the goal of the church. By very definition, a true disciple makes more disciples. So we have to understand our commission. And in a, in a broad sense, now where we get to some of the more practical stuff is there are two methods of discipleship. Two methods. These are not, not exclusive, but this is what you'll typically see. First, systematic discipleship. And second, relational discipleship. So... I want everybody to, this is not going to be a hoorah, amen, preach the word. Like, this is practical teaching because we have a clear and distinct command from Christ. And we cannot just say, amen, yes, I believe we should make disciples. And, but then we go, well, I don't have any clue what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, how I'm going to engage in this. Um, if, if someone comes to the altar, I'll pray with them. I'll introduce myself to them. But where does it go from there? An example of systematic discipleship. Let's talk first about systematic discipleship. An example of this would be our Now What Discipleship course. So we have a great course. 
And another example might be um, membership classes. You go to a church and there might be membership classes and you learn about what God's plan is for your life. There's systematic, intentional teaching in discipleship, like curriculum. I want to invest something in a person so they have the knowledge to continue on this journey. These types of things are needed in churches. They provide a great benefit. However, they cannot be the only method. And this approach does have positives. Content is intentional. Foundational topics and doctrines are passed and discussed. Um, but what about the person that, just to, just to throw something out, what about the person that does not excel in classroom teaching? This person may not stick around to hear a string of lessons from a teacher in a course over the, the, course, over the, 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 the course of several weeks. The church must have additional options for people to continue on their pathway of growing with Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not saying we get rid of this. This type of teaching and instruction is needed. Valuable content it is explained to new believers in, in, in things in the Bible. And I want everybody to complete the Now What course because the content is so critical to our walk and relationship with God. But even that, we are... In the, just looking at and brainstorming in the early stages of there's 16 lessons broken into four categories of what it might look like to maybe have level one, two, three, four, breaking this up rather than you need to go to 16 lessons and people are just like, oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed and like, whoa, especially if I don't even take that. I mean, that's, that's a tough thing for some. And so uh, <clears throat> we see this. It, even in the Gospels, Jesus offered structured and intentional teaching. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Uh, people gathered around, and Jesus went through life lessons with them. Let's take a look for Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we even did a whole series earlier this year on the Sermon on the Mount and, and talked talk about the principles for life that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. This is so desperately needed, so I want to make that clear. But systematic discipleship cannot be the only method of our church. There's a second method called relational discipleship. In parenting, what the children become is largely dictated more by what we do than what we say. I can't say something and say, you guys don't say that. Right? I mean, if I, tonight, if I decided to come and a pair of jeans to church. I can't wear my jeans and then tell my kids, you guys can't wear jeans to church. You know, like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. So we, what, we, what we choose to live and speak and say and act and watch, and that our kids will mimic more what we do than what we say. And so if daddy says it's, uh, it's, it's tough to look at the child and tell that if daddy does it, you can't look at the child and say, well, dad does it, but we can't. If mommy doesn't pray, you can't look at your kids and say, well, you guys need to pray. Okay? So, like we talked about with systematic discipleship, parents have to be intentional in what they teach and train their children. There must be discussion about values and thoughts and behaviors. I think it's important that we tell our kids why we do what we do, not just what we do. Because then we have the what, not the why. And then that's, in my opinion, why a lot of children will walk away from God when they're older. Because they, they got the what, but not the why. And so we want to give the why. And so the idea is to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And you look at what Moses instructs when he's giving the law back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 5. We, again, a passage that many people might know. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. 
And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. It does not say make sure your kids go to Sunday school once a week. The responsibility, we are here to help. Responsibility for you investing things in your kids, it is on you. It is not on me. We are going to help, and we are going to continue to invest in children and youth and love them and teach them and train them, but you are called to train your kids. And says, repeat them again and again to your, to your kids. It says, talk about them where? When you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tell them, take, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is an example of relational discipleship. Hey, as you're living your daily life, be talking to your kids about these biblical principles. This is God's plan. When the Lord takes on flesh and walks among us, he does not say, all right, guys, that was a good service. Peter, Andrew, John, you guys on for cleanup. Who's tearing down the chairs today? We got mobile church. I'll see you guys next weekend. His greatest lessons were walking around. Hey, you see that fig tree? Hey, you know, you got a question? Hey, that Samaritan woman I just talked to? Hey, he, he, it, it was a breakdown. He would, just, he would just teach life lessons. Well, what, what was going on back there? They would ask a question. I'll talk to you about it. Let's break down what just happened. That is discipleship at its finest. Well, people just need their love. God, they need to come in here and get saved. Really? Because the disciples were people who changed the world, but before they changed the world, they had intimate conversations with a creator that was like, hey, explain this to me. Break this down to me. I, you read sometimes now when looking back at where we are now, we look back to some of their questions. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Except for I see him, I will not believe. And we're like, man, what a bunch of losers. I would have never done that. Yes, you would have. And you read like this journey that they take. Peter did not get called out of a fishing boat. And the next day he stood up with the 11 and preached a great message on the day of Pentecost. That guy messed up and had questions and failed and sunk when he was walking on water and, and denied Christ. I mean, just messed up. But he, he walked with someone enough that there was something in him. We need this. Somebody comes into a church, and they walk in, we greet them, and they walk out, or they come to an altar, or they even get baptized, and we're like, three months from now, hey, where's so-and-so? Like, no, we have to. We have to go. I, I want to have a plan to connect with you, to invest things that I've learned into your life. And so we, we read about this, and we go, oh, wow, that's his plan. Relational discipleship, sure, he's talking about kids right here, but we see him mimic this plan. Hey, talk about it when you're walking by the way, going down the road, in the morning, before bed. Guess what? If I'm going to make a disciple, I'm not just going to talk to him on a Sunday service. I'm going to touch base. How things been going? I know you said you were struggling last week. You doing all right? Let's get together for a cup of coffee. Well, that takes time and energy and effort. I think that Jesus put in a lot of time, effort, and energy in the, in the, in the disciples. 
But guess what? They changed the world. There are world changers in our community right now. They need some people who are going to invest in them. And so he says, this is, the, this is what we see in the Old Testament, what we see it in the New Testament. And this is why true discipleship in the apostolic church cannot just take place when we pray with someone in an altar on a Sunday. Or greet them in the foyer or trust pastor to take care of things. True discipleship takes place in the context of relationship. I will say that again. True discipleship takes place in the context of relationship. And relationship only happens when there is involvement in one another's lives. Imagine how long it would have taken to marry your spouse. If you said, all right, well, we'll talk again next Sunday. Good to see you again. You're looking beautiful today. I'll see you next Sunday. How much relationship there? True relationship. True it only happens when there's involvement in one another's lives. So where do we get the involvement? Jesus practiced this approach. He spent time with his disciples. He did all this relational discipleship happens through shared experience. Okay? Think about something you really like to do. Okay? How many of you today, I'm not asking if you're good at it. You like to golf. Wow. How many of you like to shoot guns? Well, I'm definitely pastoring gun shooters, not <laughs> golf swingers. Um, how many of you like to knit? Is scrapbooking still a thing? That was like in a big thing for a while there. How many of you like to hunt? How many of you like to fish? Thank God they voted me in as pastor. How many of you like to shop? If you haven't checked out the King's Daughter Boutique, I'd go online. But um, I got a pledge to be here, folks. No. So, how many of you like to ride bikes? Wow. See, look at this. Okay. Guess what? I have a revelation for you. Ready? There are other people that are not at this church right now, that live in this community, that like to ride bikes. There are other people living in Liberty right now that like to shoot guns. There are people who like to fish. There are people who like to play basketball. I didn't ask that one. Who likes to play basketball? What? Did you fall asleep on me? All right, all right. Then. How many of you like to watch your husband play basketball, huh? <laughs> that might be, I'm telling you, think about that. We think sometimes almost, I don't know how else to put it, almost too spiritual. Well, I don't have time for that. You've got to get to the work of the Lord. Begin to work the altars. That's awesome. Work the altars. 
but someone who's lost, who's living without hope, does not know Jesus Christ loves them, you could go fishing with them. That doesn't seem very spiritual. You could go hit the golf course with them. You'll find out how spiritual you are on the golf course. Relational discipleship. See, the operative word for Jesus and for now is time. Every investment in someone's life opens the door for biblical truth. I want us to begin to think like this. Every investment in someone's life opens the door for biblical truth. But investment is a cost. And it's a cost a lot of believers today are not willing to incur. Therefore, there's not a lot of disciples being made in some churches because people aren't willing to pay the cost. But if we're willing to incur the cost and invest in someone, systematic and relationship, but in relational discipleship are both needed. And why some churches, I believe, struggle, and I don't ever want us to get there, is that we emphasize the systematic and forget the relational. We have this course. We have a team. Come to a Bible study. Come to this. We have this training. You need to go over here. Hey, I'll, I'll bring them to, you need to announce it. When does pastor start the course? When are, what do we got for them next? And, it's, and we put the emphasis on what the church has for someone. Why bring them and you take care of them? No. You are called to make disciples. And so even in the systematic approach, many churches just trust that to the pastor church leaders, and that's not it. I believe everyone should be involved in the systematic approach. We should be teaching Bible studies. Absolutely. But typically, you are not going to get a Bible study by walking up to a stranger and saying, hey, I got a Bible study. Would you come? It's next Tuesday night at my house. Who are you? Where's your house? And I'm definitely not one. <laughs> even before COVID, that's not working. But hey, we've been playing on this softball team for the last several months. We've been fishing together now. Man, you know, we've had a couple conversations about the Word of God, and uh, I'd love to just sit down with you and your spouse and just I'll come over to your house, and we'll just meet one time a week for about 10 weeks or 45 minutes and just dive into the Word of God. Hey, I'm, I'm going to receive that from you because you've been investing in relational discipleship. You didn't come to me and tell me I need Jesus. You invested in who I am as a person. And so I want to be a part of that. And so I cover this because our, our goal for Wednesday, Principles for Life, is instruction. I'm looking to not, I'm not here trying to make everyone feel bad for not making disciples. I'm trying to offer practical ways you can make disciples. And so understanding this is so very crucial because not this Sunday, but next Sunday, November 14th, Right after the morning service, Brother Chester and I will be hosting a meeting for anyone interested in being a small group facilitator. I want everyone to understand that our small groups need to be a crucial part of us responding to Jesus' call to make disciples. I'm doing this on a Wednesday night. I probably couldn't do this on a weekend. I know I pretty much have a core group of people here on a Wednesday. And so I want to take the rest of this time just to talk to you a little bit. Because I know some of you have never come to a small group. And so when you ask about being a facilitator, you're automatically checked it off, like, this is not for me, not my thing, I'm not going, without even understanding what a small group is. And so before we just host a meeting and invite you to come to a meeting, I wanted to take a Wednesday night and spend just the rest of this time talking practically about how a small group 
fits the model of a way we can make relational disciples. And so small groups are not just for church members alone. Matter of fact, I don't want that to be the case. I certainly want every member of Refuge Church to be involved in a small group, absolutely, positively. Not only for your benefit, it's not just, well, I don't get anything out of them. Maybe you're not just in a small group for what you can get out of it. Maybe it's for who you're reaching back for. These small groups, our small groups, should not be filled with just church people. Our groups should include topics that are relevant to unchurched family and friends. I've never taken time to explain these things in the pulpit. So it's important to me because this next year is going to be crucial. I want our small groups, I'm gonna, our leadership meeting, our annual planning meeting is coming up. And I am not trying to have a ton of events, events-driven, spending a ton of money, inviting random strangers. We're going to be sharing space, and I believe we have an apostolic model of biblically meeting publicly and house to house. And so the small groups have to come to the forefront of who we are as a church, meaning Sundays are, will be inspiration. Wednesday's instruction and small groups are where we get our involvement, involvement in one another's lives. And so we are not looking to just fill the calendar with a bunch of events and spend a ton of money. The greatest impact that we are going to have is when the church has relationships with people already who then enter into a biblical discussion that can morph into something greater where they search for a, an experience with Jesus Christ. That our small groups have to be more evangelistic and focused on discipleship than ever before. And so we don't want just, if, if you only have church people at your small group, why? If you only have people outside of church, why? There should be a blend of both. And so we're not looking for this. I'm not looking for preachers at a small group. Well, I'm not really the public type. I don't really speak well in front of people. You might be great for small groups because I'm not looking for people like, that like to hear themselves talk. If this small group is like my mini church, nope, do something else. That's not what we want. We're not looking for preachers. We're not even looking for teachers. We're looking for facilitators, people who facilitate the involvement of people in one another's lives. This can be through discussion or activity, and it's only one quarter at a time. So you might say summers are really crazy busy for me, but I can do January through March. And I'm going to meet with my small group five, maybe five times every other week for, for three months. I'm going to meet with them. And I can do that. I can't do the summer. I'll jump back in in the fall. It's, that's great. It's not, you're not signing a lifelong death sentence when you facilitate a small group. As our, and, and so this is what we're going to be focused on even in our leadership team is I want to see our small groups become a major source of outreach and a major point of connection for, for um, believers even. Look at discussion groups because there's really this discussion or activity. Discussion. This is where a facilitator eats either, either writes or is given a topic. It's not training. It's not preaching. I can't emphasize that enough. The best facilitators don't even need to talk much. What do you think about this? Sometimes as a facilitator, you have to be comfortable with silence. Silence makes, the, silence makes human nature kind of like uncomfortable a lot, especially if you're 
a more talkative person. And so a facilitator of a discussion group makes people feel comfortable the moment they walk into the house. At my wife and I, when we have a small group at our house, we always have everyone bring something. We have food with a theme. I tried my best to make sure the Acosta sign up for our group. And I'll pay their gas money if I need to. No. Um, and so we have food with a theme. And, and when somebody comes in, we, 6.30 to 7.15 is food. 7.15 to 8 o'clock is discussion. We have child care if there's a bunch of kids that sign up. Because at these quarterly groups, you sign up for a different group, different location each time. And so we might have some of the same people, different people, and people come in, and we will share, and we'll sit in different parts, people eat in the living room, the kitchen, everybody's eating, laughing. By the time we get to the discussion, everybody's already laughing, having a good time, opened up a little bit. It's not like we go, okay, welcome, come in, have a seat, I have a question for you. I wouldn't want to go to that. Because everything should be about natural human interaction and not forced human interaction. If you're ever not sure what to do, just think, what would make me feel uncomfortable if I was walking into a home that I've never been in before? But what's a natural response for one might not be a natural response of another. This is why we offer different types of groups, different facilitators, different topics. Because each facilitator must be in tune with who's in the group and who they are. And do it comfortably. Each facilitator should start with a topic that invites others to share thoughts and opinions throughout the discussion. The facilitator would not start with something deep. All right, welcome to our small group. This is session one. Have you ever been divorced before? How many times? What went wrong in that first marriage? I'd be like... You better shut your mouth and let me out of this house. You're crazy. Those are not the types of questions. It's not intrusive questions. A question for you. On what tier of, how much do you make at your job per year? I mean, I'm, I'm being so facetious right now. This has never happened at Refuge Church. But I'm saying we don't ask questions that make people feel awkward. The first question might be, uh, what's your most or least favorite part of Thanksgiving? Okay, so people start going, man, I love cranberry. You like cranberries? I can't stand cranberries. And natural interaction starts to play, take place as people are jumping in, laughing at one another, saying stuff about, I hate cranberries. You like cranberries? Who likes eggnog? Oh, I cannot even take a sip of eggnog. And you're getting everybody engaged in conversation. That's an icebreaker question, something easy. It's lofting it out. Everyone in the room should answer question number one. You're not going to require everybody to answer all the questions. But get that first one going. Get people talking. A discussion group can be such a powerful thing because we've had people in our house talk about marital issues, loss of job or income, health issues, spiritual questions. People in our home have laughed. They've cried. They've prayed. They've wept. They have listened. We've had uh, the spiritual gifts operating in our home, in our living room. We've developed friendships that, have been, uh, that would have been difficult to develop just in a Sunday service staring at the back of someone's head in a pew. Discussion groups are powerful. You could, you could facilitate one of those. If you say, that's not me, I'm just not comfortable. But there's also activity groups. There are so many people in this church who love playing softball, 
They love our 4th of July picnic, our Memorial Day picnic. A homeschool group just recently went to a pumpkin patch, and everybody loved it. There were people like, oh, I got to know this person. It was wonderful. Maybe you loved the recent harvest party or chili cook-off. Your goal with an activity group remains the same as facilitating a discussion small group. And you might say, well, hang on. That doesn't make sense. I thought of the discussion group. We're getting into the deep things of God. Maybe, but we need to be intentional about what does our community need. So I did one on spiritual gifts because I hadn't done something that deep in a while. But I'm not going to do that every time. Because if I'm trying to invite my neighbor, I'm not going to be like, would you come to my discussion group on spiritual gifts? They're like, what? No. And so there's things I'm going to intentionally, I'm going to go a little more shallow. And I do that on purpose because I want that to be evangelistic. I want brand new people to feel comfortable in my living room. And so, why I say discussion activity, it's based on the same thing. And here's what it is. Involvement in one another's lives. Your neighbor might not want to come to the discussion group on small gifts. But that same neighbor might love to bowl with you every other Tuesday. They might love to go knitting every other Tuesday. I can assure you I will never sign up for your small group. But somebody out there would like to do that. Discipleship is based on relationship. Because why? We believe in horizontal relationship and or vertical relationship and horizontal relationship. Horizontal is friend to friend and that can develop into vertical, God to us. And even between church people, you might not feel comfortable walking around on Sunday. You come in the church, hey, how's it going? It's terrible. Do you have a moment to talk? You go to the next place and how are you doing? Uh, things are not really good. Can we talk right now? And you're like, no, you're not really maybe comfortable to do that on a Sunday morning. And maybe it's not the place. People are running around. And, and, and I would love for us to always be there for one another. But Sundays might not be the greatest time for that. So the setting might feel awkward. But in a small group, you walk in. There's a small group of people. You're sitting across from someone as you're eating. You're like, man, that life's, life's been a little rough last week. Really, what happened? And there can be focused conversation. In a way that you can't have on a Sunday. You may be in an activity group where you've been laughing, hanging out, bowling, golfing together, throwing axes. I mean, the, the sky's the limit on this. Or in several weeks of a discussion group when something happens in life, to whom do you think you go to? When you start to struggle, when something happens that is difficult, challenging, you don't... You're going to the person who you've been out on the golf course with and fishing with and, and knitting with or who you've been at a discussion group with for the last two months. Hey, guys, I know we've been talking about this. Man, something happened at my job today, and if, if y'all could pray for me, that, man, what happened? Oh, it was tough. Can we do that on Sundays? Anybody have any issues at their job today? No, that doesn't happen here. It's going to be with the person who's already involved in your life. This, this is the vision of small groups. You can lead a discussion. You can put together biweekly or monthly specified outings. I don't even care. You don't have to go to axe throwing on Monday night and say, well, okay, we got to make this spiritual. Let's open up with a short song and a prayer. You don't have to. If you feel to do that, fine. 
might feel a little awkward. But you don't have to because it's not, small groups are not meant to reproduce church. Small groups are for the church to be the church and open up doors for new people, unchurched people, brand new people in the church and church, everybody across the board to have involvement in one another's lives. So we're going to try and limit our church calendar so that people know this is, this has to be the focus of our church. It's not about just church people, though. Think about the lost. What are things we can do to invite unchurched people into our lives? Because if you want influence, you have to invest in the relationship. How will we reach someone with a gospel message when we cannot reach them with a conversation or an activity that interests them? Right? Sometimes we just want the easy. We come to church, I got I got I got an event, come to this, and then hopefully God takes over and good. I brought this person to church. It doesn't work as much anymore today. Today, to truly make a difference. I still believe God changes lives, the power of the Holy Ghost, absolutely. But people are not necessarily allowing themselves to get exposed to that because they don't have the people who have invested in them, who now have invested in that relationship, have been doing activity groups, doing this, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I've been golfing with you for the last while, I've been throwing axes with you. You guys have, when you have a concert coming up? When's that? Oh, Sunday 21st, 10 a.m. Man, I'd like to come to that. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. We got, we got something for the kids, too. And all of a sudden now, someone's going to experience the power and presence of Jesus Christ. But first, it was just regularly scheduled activity groups that were organized. Don't be canceling. Otherwise, people don't even trust what you're going to say. But we'll talk about that more at the meeting. But I'm going to close. I know it's different. But rather than just come to a meeting, facilitator, if you want to be a facilitator, I know most of you are like, I don't, not interested. But to hear the vision, to go, you know, I wasn't really a preacher, but he's not looking for a preacher. I wasn't really a teacher, but he's not looking for a teacher. I can facilitate a discussion. Or I can lead an activity where I put something together, I'm organized enough to send something out, get the dates out, and get together with a group of people five times over about three months and just build relationship I, and make it fun and enjoyable for everybody. I can, I can do that. We want, we want inlets for people and connect points for not only community, but even between us and the church. As the church continues to grow, this will be crucial. And so I'm praying that this evening has provided clarity, not only for all of us about our vision for small groups, but our need to be in them. And also about the Great Commission and to be intentional about getting involved in the lives of those around us. And one of the greatest ways we can do this moving forward is to be a church with thriving and exciting small groups. If you're dreading going to your small group every week, if you're like, I never like small groups, don't just kick back and say that small groups aren't good. Why don't you help us by igniting the small group with your own personal idea? Because if you feel that way, someone else does too. So give someone an alternative. So, mark your calendar. 
not this Sunday, next Sunday, the 14th, after the morning service, Brother Chester and I want to meet with people, those who have facilitated in the past, those who are interested in facilitating discussion, even if it's not January. Please be at the meeting because you say, well, I can't do this first one. I can do it in the summer. I can do it in the spring. It's good for us as we start to plan out the year going, okay, we want to have a certain number of groups each quarter. And even those interested in facilitating a group based on shared life experience. My prayer is that this not is just not just geared at facilitators, but also at a church who has a burden to reach a lost and dying world. A church who's willing to look outside the box of just inviting someone to church. Continue to do that. It's great. We have the concert coming up. There's invites back there. Absolutely. There's people who will still just come to church when you invite them. Absolutely. But I want to also reach the people who will not just come to church on an invite, but who would go throw axes and roll and golf and do whatever. As you build relationship. Because we need to understand that one of the most powerful outreach approaches of the 21st century is relational discipleship. And so we want this holistic approach, meaning we want both systematic and relational discipleship. Amen? Would you stand to your feet tonight? An altar call is always geared at a personal response to what was preached. And so before you already check, if, if you're here going, it's good, interesting, I'm not a, a facilitator. I, I, I kind of checked out 20 minutes ago. Um, don't do that. At least, at least as we close, just find a place to pray before you leave. And just say, God, hey, where am I on all this? Hopefully it's not, uh, no matter what, I'm never doing any of it. Because you'd be missing out. Not only what God can do for you, but what God wants to use you to do for other people. Maybe say, Lord, am I, should, I, should I facilitate? Should I join? Should I facilitate activities? Should I do discussion? Should I do both? What does this look like? Where, where do you want me in this? Because this is your church, and I'm your servant, and I just want to make disciples. I want to be a disciple, and I want to make a disciple. It's the way you told us to do it, Jesus. So please, just talk to me tonight. And that's all I ask as we prepare for this meeting next, not this Sunday, next Sunday. I wanted to just cast that vision so there's a little clarity there. Because this is going to be more crucial than ever before as we continue to grow and as we share space, these small groups for involvement in the lives of one another. Would you find a place to pray? Jesus, help us. Oh, God, talk to us. Lord, I believe that small groups are apostolic. They're found throughout the throughout the book of Acts and in the New Testament believers meeting house to house and investing in the lives of one another oh God Lord help us as a church to reflect your plan for your church in the 21st century God Lord I pray lay it on the hearts and minds of men and women to facilitate these groups to see the importance of them to bring their own ideas and personalities to them Lord Jesus that we would know that it's so vital in the discipleship process that we are disciples and we make disciples. Oh, Lord, help us in your name.
Yeah. 